Good morning, everybody. Am I on? I feel there. I feel like I'm on. So if you are visiting with us, if you are a guest, you may notice that we have a lot more guys than ladies. And that's because we send as many of our ladies as possible to a women's retreat. So there's 45 ladies down there, or 44 is the actual number. My wife among them, the house is still standing. I'm not telling you whether or not it's clean, but it is there. And she will be home and then it will get better. So if you notice that there happens to be a lot of guys sitting by themselves or just in clumps of men, that is why. This morning, we are, well, we really have an opportunity to dive into the, uh, an interesting last step in Ephesians. Now, you're going to see scriptures on the screen, and for the most part, those are going to be all the scriptures that we're using. But you'll notice, if you were in second service last week, you heard this because that was my soft start to the whole thing. If you open to your sermon notes, you will see a handy-dandy little square, squiggly, line, blocky thing called a QR code. If you take your smartphone and put the camera over, open up your camera and put the camera over that QR code, it will give you a link, and that link will take you to all of the verses that we're using in this morning's message in order, as long as I keep it in the same order that I planned it in. So if we go out of order, just know that that was me, but they're all there. So typically you'll see a list of passages uh, in your bulletin. You'll see a list of passages on the screen, but this will give you a this morning's list of stuff, and that should be in the bulletin every week. So if you want to use that, feel free. If you don't want to, that's fine. But we are going to jump into this last pericope, this last section of Ephesians. We started in October. We're ending in May and we're going to see some of the same themes from our very first message pulled out here in Ephesians 6. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 to 24. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. Uh, We hear in the last two verses, the very same things... Paul said in the first two verses of the entire letter, he bookends this entire letter to the Ephesians with these ideas. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ. Ephesians 1.1. Ephesians 1.2 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Back in chapter 6, he ends in verse 23 and 24. Peace to the brothers. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, grace be with you. Peace and grace. That's how he starts the letter. 
That's how he ends the letter. And grace, as you well know, is a very prominent theme throughout this entire letter. We see it in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love for us, made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace we've been saved. 8, 9, and 10 says that, that we, have faith, we have life in Christ through faith, not our own works. I have never heard that before. There's birds up there. So I can ignore it now, but it was really throwing me off. Quiet, birds. Nobody listens to me. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Grace from Christ, unmerited favor with God that we didn't work for. Peace with him. We're no longer in opposition to God, no longer in opposition to Christ, but we're on the same team. That's the peace that's being spoken about here. That's the salvation that we have as an opportunity with our faith in him. When our faith is in him, we have salvation. So he ends with this same theme. We're going to talk about some of the idea of what it means to, to love. Uh, love incorruptible is the very last bit. Love with faith in God is, is another component to it, sort of filling in the grace and peace idea. But let's step back to verse 21. And we're introduced to somebody. So that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. Okay, so that's a purpose. Somebody is going to be coming to give account for what Paul is doing, to tell them how he's doing and what he's up to. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Who is Tychicus? We've not been introduced to him at all during this entire letter. Now all of a sudden, a name is thrown out there that should mean something to these people. And it does. Because Tychicus is the one who brought the letter to the Ephesians. So when they hear about Tychicus, they know exactly who this is because he's the one who showed up with the letter. We hear about him for the very first time in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. It says, uh, but I do not, but uh, chapter 20, verse 4, sorry. He says, Sobater the Berean son of Pyrrhus accompanied him along with the Thessalonians and you go down further and you see Tychicus and Tromepheus at the very end. Uh, just mentioned, going on his third missionary journey, just mentioned that they're there. He's not a faithful brother. He's not a fellow faithful minister in the Lord yet, or rather a beloved brother and a faithful minister. Why? Because he's starting his time with Paul. By the time we get to Ephesians, Paul has very different things to say about him than Luke did in Acts. He doesn't just mention him by name. He mentions him as what? As a faithful or a beloved brother and a faithful minister. We need these people in our lives. These Tychicus type people. People who are, who are faithful. People who are beloved to us, close to us relationally. And we could, we could go back to Proverbs chapter 18, and we pick up a good reminder. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24 says this. 
A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And this is an allusion to Christ, right? It's an indirect statement that there is going to be this friend, this Christ, who will stick closer than any brother ever could, but it's also just a proverb. Uh, Here's a a little key about proverbs. You have to be very careful how you use them because all of the proverbs are proverbial. And that makes sense, right? They're proverbs. They're not promises. So what we read in proverbs is not direct promises to God that every time the same thing is going to happen. If you do this, you get that. But in general, if you do these things that it says, you'll come to this end, both good or bad. They're proverbial. They are generally true about life. Sometimes we don't directly see the the results, but they're there. And so here, not just as an allusion to Christ, but as an allusion to friends in general, a man of many companions may come to ruin. The sort of popular, everybody's your friend as long as you're popular sort of person. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Uh, That's the same idea that Paul has for Tychicus in this place. A beloved brother. Not just a friend, but a beloved brother. Somebody who is, who is so close to him, so faithful to him, so true to Paul's person that he refers to him as a brother. We see this play out in David's life. Back in 1 Samuel, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament sort of historical books, 1 and 2 Samuel is really the story of of Samuel's time and instituting David as the king. And then Samuel dies and 2 Samuel has all about David's reign. Then we come to the kings and it's more of a step back and look at all the kings in general. And then the Chronicles continues on with that. But 1 Samuel here, we see this story of, of a young man named David, and another young man named Jonathan. And Jonathan was the son of Saul, the rightful heir to the throne. It's important to keep that in mind. David, on the other hand, has been anointed by Samuel because God said he's going to take the throne away from Saul because Saul intentionally and specifically rebelled against God's rule. Long story short, 18 chapters of 1 Samuel in four sentences. So it's a little general, but that's what's going on. And now David and Jonathan were friends, and David is to become the king instead of Jonathan, which is a perfect recipe for the destruction of a relationship. But instead of destroying the relationship, we read in chapter 18, verses 1 to 5, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So David, or Jonathan rather, took all of his armament, all of those things, those articles that he would wear that showed him as the prince of Israel and gave them to David for David to wear in public to show everybody that he was the prince of Israel, the coming king 
for the Israel people. If we move on, the story doesn't always say, stay beautiful and nice. But 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 23 to, or verses 16 to 18, sorry, chapter 23, verses 16 to 18 says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened him and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. So Saul is actively seeking to kill David at this point. Just a moment ago, just a few chapters ago, five chapters in fact, Saul was promoting David and putting him out to run wars and run battles because he wins everything he does. And then all of a sudden Saul starts to say, well, I don't like that because he's doing better than I am, so now I want to kill him. Little fickle, I know. And so he's chasing him all over Israel. David's hiding in caves so that Saul can't find him. He's got his men and they're hiding in caves. And Jonathan knows where he is, doesn't tell his dad. Jonathan goes to David and he says, I will help establish you. When we're talking friends that are beloved brothers, this friend not only has been with David when things are rough, right? That's where it is. But he is looking out for what he can do to promote David to success over himself. We need friends like that. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. We need friends who want what is best for us, who when, when life is hard, they come and hang out with us in our pain. When we make mistakes, they hang out with us in our sorrow. They hang out with us in our consequences. They're with us. When we find successes, they celebrate them. They're not jealous of our successes. They don't revel in our sorrows. They revel in our successes. And they're sorry. They're sorry for us in our sorrow. And that's Tychicus, a beloved brother. But not just this beloved brother sort of, we've got a great relationship sort of mindset. It goes beyond that. So David and Jonathan had this incredible relationship where they both sought the long-term benefit of the other, both the long-term benefit of the other, both promising in different places that they will do what they can to establish the other one's house for forever. And they'll do it. They'll follow through on it. If we come back to Ephesians chapter 6, we read that Tychicus is a beloved brother. That's what he is. But that's not all he is. He's also a faithful minister. And that is not a reference to a paid position. So just jettison that from your mind. He is a faithful minister with Paul, which means what? Well, let's talk about what Tychicus is doing. He is bringing a letter to the Ephesians. It's not a big deal. Just hop in your car, drive to Minneapolis, drop off a letter, come back. We have mailmen who do that. They're not faithful ministers. Uh, this is more akin to walking to Green Bay with a letter in hand to deliver it. 
but not only to deliver it. I mean, that's a great idea, but his role is not to deliver a letter. What does Paul say Tychicus's job in all of this is? He is a faithful minister in the Lord and will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. His job is not to just deliver a letter from Paul, but to encourage the people of this church that Paul has set up to minister in place of Paul. So when he says that he is a faithful minister, he is not just saying, here's a guy who can get stuff done. He's saying, here's somebody who I trust with the very purpose of ministry to encourage their hearts, which is not just make you feel good. This word encourage is parakaleo. You don't care, except you do care. There's other places that this word is used. Greek has all sorts of different endings on words. If you've ever looked at uh, what's called an interlinear Bible, it just takes all of the Greek words and puts them in English in the exact same order that they're in. Uh, just imagine listening to Yoda speak. Oh No, wait, wait. Only make Yoda really, really, really tired. To where he doesn't really know what he's saying. Because there's no word order in Greek at all. The, set, the subject of a sentence can be at the very end. The object of the verb can be at the very beginning with the verb at the very end. Which no sense makes. But that's how it goes. So when we come to this word... They use different endings to tell you what the word means in the sentence. Is it the subject? It has a certain ending. Is it the object that the subject is working on? So Brock kicked a ball. The object of that sentence, the direct object is ball. And they would use a different ending for that, right? So the word and the word endings become very, very important. This word parakaleo is the word encourage. And it's used in two specifically other places. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6. But God, who comforts the downcast, but God, who paracletes or paracleos, the downcast. So when Tychicus is supposed to encourage their hearts, this is the same kind of encouragement that God gives to the downcast, those who are hurting. More than that, go to John chapter 14, verse 26. Verse 25 says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still here, but the helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the encourager. So when he says that Tychicus is there to encourage their hearts, he is talking about somebody who is engaging with them at the most basic component of who they are as people. Dealing with them in their hurts and their sorrows. Building them up, not making them feel good. Building them up to following Christ more. They are to encourage each other. That's what 
Tychicus is doing. So Paul put this guy on a ship, on a road, whatever it happened to be, to go to Ephesus and do this ministry in lieu of Paul going. So when he says he's a faithful minister, he is truly, really saying, this guy was put in charge of ministry to people, to you, to how this letter finds you, to what it does when it's there, to him relaying what Paul is doing so that he encourages them and builds them up. We need those people. We need those people in our lives. We need those people in the church. We have to have people in our own lives who are that close friend sort of thing, sort of person. We have to have those people in our lives who we know when there is a job to be done, not a job like framing your house sort of job, though it could be that, but the kind of job that is you know what, I, I can only engage so many people. I need you to engage that person, to help them grow in Christ. And that's not me saying that. It would be the elders saying that. It's not just the elders saying that. It's the ministry leaders saying that. It's not just the ministry leaders saying that. It's the ministry leaders, or not just the, uh, the elders and the ministry leaders saying that to the people who are aiding in ministry to the people in charge of anything. We need faithful ministers who not just accomplish their tasks. Accomplishing a task is easy. But ministering to the hearts of people is hard. And their job is truly to encourage the hearts of people. The problem is, we all know we need those people in our lives. But we sometimes forget that we have to be those people. Because if everybody else also needs those people, you become that person to somebody else. It's not enough to just say, God, I really need a good friend. I really need a close brother. I really need a faithful minister. We need to say, God, I want to be that kind of friend. I want to be that kind of beloved brother. I want to be that kind of faithful minister to people for somebody else. Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, in the faithful minister sort of mindset, Paul says this. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your minister, your messenger and minister to my need. So the Philippians sent this guy to Paul to be their faithful minister to him. And now Paul, after a time, is sending him back to be his faithful minister to them, to his co-laborer, for the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 23 says this. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. Do you know who Titus is? So you've got like the big name people, right? 
Peter, John, Paul, James, Matthew, Mark. We'll even count Luke in there. The people who had Bible names named after them, right? All but Paul. Those are like the big names in the Bible. We say these are really the important people. But there's two guys who frequently get left off that list who are also named as letter recipients, Timothy and Titus. These are guys that Paul sent out, young-ish guys, to oversee large areas of the world for ministry. And he calls Titus his fellow minister. And he calls Tychicus his fellow minister, faithful minister. We need that, but we need to be that. And it's, it's really incumbent on us to make some decisions about that. Because in order to be that kind of friend to somebody... In order to be that kind of fellow minister with somebody, do you know what it takes more than anything else? Time. And if you're not able or willing, usually it's more willing than able, to give it, you can't ever be in that spot. And then what you'll find is that when you are needing that person to be that beloved brother, to be that faithful minister, you don't know who to go to because you don't have them because you haven't spent time building into them to have them. Now, I know we all have busy lives. Larry Odell was my mentor for a few years back when I lived in Nebraska. And Larry always told me, Brock, you will never have time for anything. You must always carve time for whatever is most important to you. That sounds great. Except now it's just put all of the onus on me to make my time available and prioritize it for other people. That's why Larry and I don't talk anymore. Just kidding. That was a great lesson for me to learn. Because I only have time for those things when I carve it out of my schedule. Which means I don't have time to do some of the other things I would choose to do. Which means I'm sacrificing some of what I would be doing for this other person. To be with them, to grow with them, to know them. And when we do that, we can get in a spot where what we have, we have beloved brothers in the Lord. And that's not gender exclusive. It's just beloved brothers and sisters in Christ in the Lord. And we have faithful ministers. We learned in Ephesians chapter 4 that the body is supposed to minister to the body. The elders are put in position to equip the body so that the body, well-equipped, can minister to itself. Which means, in order for ministry at Bethel to happen, it's incumbent on you. 
I am here and the elders are here to equip you and give you as much as we can the tools and abilities and positions to do that ministry. But in order for a church to grow and function, I don't mean grow with more people sitting in chairs. I mean grow in the sense that we are developing, right? We want people to, we want to be a place where people can heal so that together we can grow so that we can share the gospel to our neighbors. And that growing happens. That growing happens when, when we minister to each other. We don't say, oh, we pay Brock to do that. I realize you do pay me, and I'm very grateful for it. It opens up my time to be able to do more than the other elders can because their time is being used in their job. So I'm freed up to do some of that. But I'm not freed up to be the solo pastor minister here. Chris and I aren't freed up to be the only pastors here. The staff isn't paid only to free us up so that we can do everything. Our role is to equip people so that together each one of us can minister to each other. Uh, This morning's worship team is actually a great example of that because as of Wednesday noon, no, Thursday noon, the anticipation was still that Julie was going to be back. And by Thursday evening, the anticipation was there's no chance in the world she will be back for Sunday. So then in comes all this other group of people. I might have my days messed up. It might be Wednesday. You ladies who are actually involved in it, you would know. One of the days this week, that was the case. There we go. That is a true statement. So, but they all stepped into roles that they can certainly fill. The whole worship team did. Step into roles that they could certainly fill because we already knew that we could trust them to lead well. They cared enough to set time aside from what they otherwise could have been doing to do this because it doesn't just take Sunday morning. It takes more thought than just for two hours on Sunday morning. And they stepped into that role. They were able. They were equipped to minister to us as people. And that's what we're looking for. Tychicus, this guy, randomly mentioned in the last few verses of Ephesians, is the example that we want to follow because his example is following Christ. So we can follow his example and be like him because he is emulating who Christ is. How do we do that? If we move on, he says, Peace to the brothers, which brothers and sisters, all believers, that's the reference for believers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. As we talk about this idea of love, as we talk about this idea of what that looks like, we know that we're really talking about the love that we have in the Holy Spirit for Christ, the love that doesn't end. It's not a feeling Though at times it may present as a feeling, but it is not a feeling. It is a volitional choice to choose to prioritize him. When? All the time, which means we all fail at it. And when we fail, we have grace and we choose to do our best to prioritize Christ again. 
right? That's, that's ultimately what we're talking about. But there's also a relational component to it, right? That's the love incorruptible in Christ Jesus. But there's also the love for the brothers that he speaks about here. And if we went back to Galatians chapter 6, which is like four pages back in your Bible, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul writes this. So, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Vision statement time. If we seek to share the gospel with our neighbors, we have to be, according to this verse, also looking out for their good, which means not just showing up at their door to share the gospel with them, but showing up at their door to get to know them. We've got the outdoor service coming in July. They'll have an opportunity to hear the gospel if they come to the service. But you know what? If they just want to come to the food part, that's okay. We want to get to know them, to show that we care about them, to do good to them, right? So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those who are of the household of faith. So as much as we're supposed to do good to the world, to be kind to them, to be generous to them, to be helpful to them, we are doubly supposed to do that for those who are believers. And that would range for all believers, but let's just put it in this body at this moment. This body of people is supposed to do especially good to each other. When? All the time. Why? Because we are trying to be beloved brothers to one another who are faithfully ministering the gospel to each other so as to build up this body in Christ. The short answer to how you are a beloved brother and a faithful minister is that we show the kind of love to each other that we should be. And that kind of love is the kind that says, okay, let's look at the world and do good to them and double that for those who are believers. And when we do that, we'll find that we're making the best use of our time. We're walking wisely, Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16 Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Loving one another in that sort of way because the days are evil and we need people to see Christ in us. When we do that, we will be beloved brothers. We will be faithful ministers. We will walk wisely. We will walk in light. We will walk in the manner in, in which we are called. We will put off our old self. We will put on our new self. We will find our identity fastened firmly in Christ Jesus himself. The book of Ephesians in reverse order. Grace to you, unmerited favor with God and peace amongst you and with God all the time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these weeks that we've had to look at Ephesians to, to understand what you've, what you've given to us. Lord, I pray that we would be men and women who put this into practice, that we would love in that sort of way, that we would be beloved brothers, that we would be faithful ministers, that we, Father, would adore you above everything else. We, Father, are inept. 
We don't possess the ability to do that. We want to. But we're not strong enough. Strengthen us, Father. Give us an understanding of your spirit so that we would rely and depend on you. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.